But I'm the opposite. I'm holding. And I'm drawing with my my weak arm, or as I call it, the stranger. <laughs> oh, oh, come on. He's he's no longer a stranger anymore. He's well no welcome to strangers. <laughs> welcome to Muttering Pines, the show where we fumble our way through the outdoors and try and do stuff with our hands. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Well, here's to like- a wonderful Hold Tuesday. On. Oh yeah, okay. We we'll start with that right on. No, no, fuck you. I'm just gonna drink because yep. it's been that kind of day. I hear you. Cheers, buddy. Cheers. I like the uh, I like the the big job on on the head. It's looking good. It's not quite crop top, but there's nothing else to cover up, so it's okay. And you, did you trim your beard? Yeah. You're looking good. Yeah. It was getting a little poofy. I, I look like I'm should be. Picking these AGD cans out of the bins behind Safeway. You know, there's there's a lot of people looking for uh, fruit pickers out in BC, so you could just Mexican oh, your way over there. Maybe I'll do that. That sounds about right. Um, Maverick, I was outside and Maverick was out just playing, and I had the water table set up for him, and I was just trying to get the lawn watered because it's so bloody dry. And uh, he just starts crying. Starts walking over. He's like, oh, owie, owie. I'm like, how'd you hurt yourself at the water table? He's holding out his finger. He's like, owie. Okay. So I walk over there. Sure enough, big fucking wasp swimming in the water table. Stung him right on the finger. And that's all he said was just owie? Yeah. Good man. Well, he's crying, but he was was able to form. That's terrible. Guy. The words here. Guy. Yeah, his fingers puffed up a little bit, but otherwise he's good. So the other week, Emma was at the cabin playing in the woods for the first time, walked out there for like 30 seconds, and I thought she'd got eaten by the bear by the screaming that was coming from there because she had disturbed a wasp nest, got tagged twice, and she was absolutely inconsolable, screaming in the trees because she didn't know what to do. Um, so yeah so good on you Mav because that's what happens she's lucky she only got stung twice right Uh, when I found the nest it was right beside the little trail that they were walking on Mm -hmm. so very lucky she didn't actually put her foot on it because I'm sure we would have taken her to the old doctor oh yeah (laughs) I think we disturbed one once like not we Diesel did when we were just walking them, and I think Nick got three before we ran out of there, and Diesel stirred up another one in BC, <laughs> and the one he was in the woods came out, and there was probably like 12 on him, just trying to sting through his bulletproof coat. Nice. So I was like, yeah, she's lucky. I hate so those fuckers. My uh, neighbor has these Rhodesian Ridgebacks that have a, a really nice, fine coat on them. And uh, when they decide to go play with me and the bees, they don't come out well. Because they don't, like, go after them terribly, but they come out with a couple welts because they, well, they're dumb. Mm. And, uh, yeah, the, there's no stopping stings on those dogs. And their fur is so thin that when they do sting, they're all pimpled up. It, like, you can see yeah. the bumps underneath their fur. Yeah, yeah, like, probably the same as the... Alan's dog, he's a GSP, same thing. I think he got stung and you could feel like these. They're, I think they were mosquito bites. They weren't even stings. They were mosquito bites. You could feel like the welts on his head. <laughs> like, Jesus, buddy. Poor guy. Not a lot of armor to those dogs. No, they're good for something and not for armor. No, good for bird retrieval. Yeah. Which I know nothing about. Does Alan do any birding with his? No. Uh, he, I think he wishes he could, but I also don't think Fionn is very, uh, adept at birding. My brother and his wife have gotten deep into, uh, GSPs and they're, um, they're training some actually like award-winning dogs right now, which is kind of surprising. They just dove headfirst into it. And I don't know if I'd have the patience to do bird dogging training, like the training of it. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not very good at training dogs, as you can tell from the dog I currently own. 
well, that's he's, just standard training, not like go do something specific. It's just don't be an asshole. He's a bit of an asshole. an asshole. But your dog is like, he's he's not, I wouldn't say pig-headed because that would be defining him as an animal. He's more like block-headed. He's stubborn yeah. to the point of being a brick. His his way or his way. Yeah, yeah it's, it's his way. That's what it is. Yeah. I did have a gross trip our camera up north. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we have another bobcat at the farm. And uh, with my own eyes, I saw him, and he is as big as a coyote. He is the biggest bobcat I've ever seen. Uh, he is not scared. He broke into the chicken coop, and he killed one of the chickens. Uh, That's a huge... Are you sure it's a bobcat? Not a Absolutely. Or something? I saw it with my own eyes, yep. It was crazy. But we've lost three, three cats out there in... A month and a half, two months. So we figure he's just chowing oh, down in the woods. Shit, really? Yeah. No shit. Yeah. Okay, hang on. I got a technical difficulties. I'm telling you. Um, and what are you gonna do about that bobcat? Is there anything legally you can do? Legally, uh, I would have to just let it walk away. But if it if it messes with the chickens again, it's going to be dispatched. Relocated. Relocated in a very humane manner. There's a new development going in the road down from <laughs> down to the valley. And it's fire it down there. Well, it's pushed all it's pushed that what I think it's pushed him into our area. So hopefully uh, if if we can relocate that big bobcat, it will that'll be the last of them. Or foreseeable future last of them. Nice. Well, because you can't legally hunt them. Nope. No, there's no, no trapping, no hunting, no nothing in this area. Well, Just too bad. speaking of hunting, we get to do our first hunting episode today. Nope. Nope. Okay. This is this is not Hang a hunting on. show because you'd have to, you'd have to know what you're doing to be called a hunter. <laughs> but we can still talk about it. Yeah. Um, Scott is not. People. Scott is not joining us today because he's up at the property with people that he says he's friends with, which I don't think is accurate. He doesn't have um, any friends. I don't know why he keeps uh, saying that. I don't, I don't even think his wife and kid like going up there with him. But um, we do have our second guest today in a row. Can you believe that? And we don't even have any friends. So I know. I don't know how I've convinced two people, let alone you two guys, to do this. Um, how, much, how much money is this costing you? Everything. I've, I've put it all on this. So let's go, nobody. Start listening. <laughs> um, this guy I enjoy talking to quite a lot. Uh, I always get a good story. And I also look, come away feeling like I learned something um, every time I talk to him. Uh, he's an avid fisherman, a proficient hunter. He is a new father. So that's exciting. Uh, which might actually dampen his ability to be a proficient hunter. <laughs> and all uh, these things came before children. Yeah, and he's the uh, co-general manager at Cabela's um, here in Alberta. Uh, and this gentleman is Cody Gross, and he's agreed to talk to us today. Like we said, for some unknown reason, uh, which I'm assuming he's going to regret much, much later. I also think he is now having to answer questions about his video and microphone setup. Ah, is this that, that <laughs> blank? Like, you've introduced him and, hey, he decided to not show up. <laughs> he didn't fucking come. And he's hung up. <laughs> Fuck you guys, I'm going home. That would be right on par. I'm surprised Alan showed up last time, to be honest. Well, resurrected from the dead, he had to show up. It was basically, yeah, obligatory at that point. Mm-hmm. There he is. How you doing? Good, how are you? Uh, good. Just surrounded by technical difficulties, apparently, today. It's all good. Uh, I'm not technical, thank you. You're just difficult. Just difficult. Cody, how are you doing today? Doing good. 
Really good. How are you guys? Sound. What are you drinking? It's a 88 IPA. Oh, yeah. Ooh, nice. Is that the Night Gallery? Mm-hmm. What are you drinking, Matt? Uh, a Sleeman's Honey Brown from my neighbor's keg. I don't think I've had a Sleeman's Honey Brown in like 15 years. It's delicious. You should actually retry it because I used to drink those all the time 15 years ago and I got back into it and it's still worth enjoying. It's like Coconut Gold. I thought it just went away. <sighs> no, Coconut Gold just got worse. So I'm drinking the same shit I drank last week. AGD. Gross. It's free. Not yeah. really, but it's cheap. <laughs> and at the quantities I consume it. Cody, are we wearing the same brand of hat? Catching deer? I think we are. Yeah. It's got some sweat stains on it, but yeah, still good. That's what my other one looks like, too. Um, well, thanks for joining. Yeah, sorry about the technical difficulties. I mean, I had I, the whole thing started with technical difficulties on my end and then Matt. And so it was just kind of par for the course. Um, we figured it was time to do a start talking about hunting. And so the first person I thought about, obviously, was the one person I know who's like a good hunter and hunts properly and is successful. Hang on. More technical difficulties, for fuck's sakes. What'd you do, Darren? All right. Let's uh, try that again. Um, I was going to ask you a question, and now I totally forget what it was. Yeah, your your <laughs> mouth started moving and your brain shut off. Uh, okay. When you talk to people about hunting, because obviously with your job you have to talk to people about hunting, how many people are more interested in bow hunting than they are rifle hunting? Well, I think for sure, like the majority of people rifle hunt, right? Like, I think we see a lot of people come to the store who are bow hunting or interested in bow hunting or do bow hunt, but the majority, like if you looked at the, a mass sample, it's for sure rifle hunters. A lot of your weekend warriors. Um, mm-hmm. um, but it, like the sport, if you want to call it, or just that that method of, of hunting is definitely increasing. Um, we see it year over year. And it's actually crazy how many people we see actually purchasing crossbows. Now in Alberta, like a you, medium. Yeah, like in Alberta, you can only use a crossbow during rifle season unless you have like a disability permit. Like if you got a bad shoulder or something, you can use a crossbow in uh, archery season. But yeah, here and I would say, yeah, like the Alberta market and the Ontario market sells by far the most crossbows that we see, which is interesting. So you're, you're GM for Calgary or for Western or, or what's their... No, just the Calgary store. And then we have a, a market general manager who oversees the Bass Pro and Cabela store because they're owned by the same guy now. Your interest in bow hunting was because of a few reasons. Longer season, um, more of a challenge. We just got to get closer, right? I just, I don't know. You just sure that, do. And even like for rifle hunters, I'm sure there's lots of rifle hunters who have been, who've had those really close encounters and those are pretty cool. Um, being from Manitoba, um, you know, playing hockey throughout the fall and winter. I really only had a time for like spring black bear hunting. So learning how to bow hunt out of a tree stand with a closer range, that was, you know, that's, that's an ideal practice. Um, and then moving out here got, uh, heavy into, you know, archery elk hunting, which like that early season hunting, it's, you know, it'd be, it'd be a tough one to have to miss out on because that's just something that I've just... Moving out here, that's just my new passion. So do you primarily go for elk with your bow then? Yeah. Um, like last year, I had my mule deer draw. Um, I got out a couple times. I had a couple close calls. Uh, like, and it was out by the Saskatchewan border. So it's like purely spot and stock, which is a whole new challenge. Um, yeah, but every, every year, um, that week 38 on the calendar, we go back for... 10 days or so at backcountry elk hunt. And yeah, we've been doing that since 2015, 2016. So nice. Yeah, so so you said you had um, down by the Saskatchewan borders, mostly spot and stock. So you primarily 
are used to tree stand hunting then. Yeah, Manitoba uh, is almost all, you know, sitting on the edge of a field, like a cornfield kind of thing, waiting for for deer to come out and feed or in a transition spot. Because um, that's like, the only way you could do it, right? Like you can't yeah, sit there really on the well. grass and in the field. Um, and you can't mule deer hunt in Manitoba. You can't shoot mule deer. Like there's some along the Manitoba-Saskatchewan border, but there's no tag for it. So. Um, oh, really? I didn't know that. So no mule yeah. deer is like across the whole province? Oh, Correct, cool. Yeah. Is that... Is that uh, like from the disease wiping them out? Because I thought that they were further east than that, but is I'm guessing not. Or... There's not a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot, but some make their way into the like the western part of Manitoba. It's it's infrequent. You sometimes see the odd like hybrid that I've heard. Like I've got buddies who do a lot of whitetail hunting right on the border, and they sometimes will say that they'll see like a whitetail mule deer hybrid. Um, That's cool. But, yeah, I haven't. Heard I don't think I've. I don't think I've ever seen that. That would be uh, that'd be something to see for sure. Yeah. But but yeah, the spot and stock it's it's very much different than um, than just sitting in a tree stand. It's more engaging for sure. So if you're got ants in your pants, then uh, definitely spot and stock's more exciting for sure. That's me. I've all the all the fucking ants. Yeah, I uh... like if I were if I had to sit in a tree stand, I would just I'd get bored and then I'd get drunk. Yeah. And then I'd fall out. <laughs> have have a little nap. And then the deer would come up and just start pummeling the shit out of me. <laughs> it, so, it can be tough, man. Especially like in like late November and like those cold days. Like those stand hunts can be tough, especially if you're trying to sit all day. And it's tough. But black bear hunting is all stand work, pretty much, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, that's because kind of, of a fun hunt. Yeah, that's kind of a fun hunt too. And like I've actually I shot a bear from the ground once. It's kind of a funny story, but. Um, well, let's hear it. So my cousin <laughs> and I, we go in and he, and there, like, if you don't know what a self-climbing tree stand, it's a, it's a stand that you just, you strap onto a tree and you can actually climb up like a tree that doesn't have any limbs on it so that it just gives you more mobility if you want to hunt from different stands. So he had this self climber and, uh, dropped the bolt for it, like a very crucial bolt, uh, walking into this bait and, uh, get in there and he goes to get set up and I go to climb up the stand and you can't find the bolt. So it's like, well, we're not going back. Like we'll just sit on the ground. Okay. So and he's going to film me. That's the whole point. So we're both sitting there and um, it was the last day that I was able to hunt and this bear came in and um, I'm not sure he was sleeping or I was sleeping. One of us was just fell asleep against his tree and kind of woke me up and like, yeah, there was a bear there. And it was a half decent bear. So I ended up kind of, coming up to my knees and drew back and shot him at like, I don't know, 18 yards or something. But Holy shit. That's pretty yeah. close for on bear. Sitting on the ground too, right? And in, in a bait site kind of thing. Yeah. A little eerie. Does Especially the bear notice like, you at all? Uh, I'm not, like, I'm not sure. Like they don't have the greatest eyesight, but like they, they for sure, that's the thing about like a bear bait is like, they know you're there. Like their smell, sense of smell is so good. It's just a bait, like a bear that's going to come into a bait. It's just their willingness to, put up with your scent right so yeah they know you're there and they're they're like they will always approach a bait from from downwind right like so if a bear is active on that site they're not going to go very far they're going to live kind of in the area and they're uh they're a pretty smart animal but so you you set up your own bear baits or was this uh that other guy's deal no back in manitoba yeah like so my got into it because my uncle's a guide out there um he does a lot of black bear hunts just actually in the duck mountains which is close to the saskatchewan border and he got my my cousin and i into it and uh yeah just kind of set up our own bait and it's, it's once you cut we're lucky because we got a the, the learning curve was short because he taught us for so many years like i've been I, ever since living out here i haven't done as much but since i was 12 hunt, bear hunting every year um that's the thing about bear hunting, the misconceptions. People think, like, you're hunting over a bait while well, you're going to shoot a bear, a giant, every single year. Well, in the, since, like, I'm 33 now, so through the math, since I was 12, I've maybe shot, I don't know, seven, seven bears, right? So it's it's not a ton. Um, so it's not like every bear that's going to come in, you're going to shoot, right? And obviously, you can't shoot a sow with cubs, and um, you're really going to try and target those mature boars um, when and if you can. 
but they're it's definitely not as easy as you think. Like a a big bear doesn't get big for being stupid. So, so they're fair. they're tricky. And the worst thing is like the trail cameras nowadays is it's so hard because like you'll get these bears and they start to almost pattern you as the hunter. They kind of figure out when you're coming and going, and they'll come in, in the middle of the night and they'll just kind of go nocturnal nocturnal on you. So, so what do you use for yeah. bear bait out there? Uh, so you use like fryer grease and uh, just that like a, a feedlot. Um, we just get this uh, 60, 30, 10 mix. So it's like oats, molasses, and corn and just a lot of grain and that kind of stuff. Um, we used to get a whole bunch of like pastries and stuff from a bakery that we used to be able to just keep a bag for us and we'd go pick it up on the way out there kind of thing. But um, they love beavers. They're crazy about beavers. So you'll put like a, what's called a call bait. So hang like a, if you can get your hands on a beaver, hang one up in a tree as like kind of like that scent. Like they'll smell for almost two kilometers away. So you kind of, it's kind of like your low for your broadcasting scent to kind of draw them in. And then you kind of keep them going with, with that feed, like that, that grain, like I said. So you keep the beaver out of reach? Like it just kind of hangs way, like far out of touch? Yeah. For the longest time, like we, we would just hang them up in a tree or kind of like make kind of like a drawstring and just to try and keep it away from them. But they always get to it. Like they're just crazy smart how they can get to these things. So um, you can get the, we've over the years, we've made these like beaver boxes, like little beaver cages that you kind of put them in there and kind of chain it to a tree so they can kind of roll it around and, they, they can't just like pull it down from the tree and run off with it kind of thing. Right. Oh, okay. I know lots of guys will, or people do use like meat scraps and that kind of thing. But the challenge with that is like, um, say you're hunting. Well, the bear is already going to know you're there. They're going to take a meat scrap and kind of take off with it and run off 50 yards and really not present that great of a shot. So you want to kind of keep that feed kind of as small as possible to kind of keep them in the area to kind of provide a shot for you. It's interesting that you mentioned beavers because um, our buddy, like we mentioned, Scott is not here tonight, but he sent me a video with a couple questions, and one of them is about beavers. Uh, I don't know if this will go through my headphones or not, so I'll dub it in if not, but let me know if you can hear this. Thumbs up. Uh, I have a, a question for Cody. It's pertinent to the location I'm in. If you can see down behind me, this is our friend Darren's place. Beautiful on the creek, but he has beavers. And I was wondering, can you bow hunt a beaver? Is it possible to bow hunt beavers? Did you catch that? Yeah. Possible or legal? Oh, I didn't know there was a legality to it. Yeah. Like, so I know, and I'm, I'm not too brushed up on their, their, like those, like trapping regulations in Alberta, but I know in uh, Manitoba, you have to, because it's a fur bearing, like animal, you got to have like a registered trap line or a registered trap, trapper's license. You can get them at like the store for like five, 10 bucks kind of thing. Um, So I know guys that can get them that way. Um, Actually, my uncle, like he has a permit uh, from this golf course, not far from where he lives. So he's actually like hired to get rid of the beavers because they do all kinds of damage. There's a creek that kind of flows around the golf course. So that's mm-hmm. usually where we've always got them from. He's got a permit to do it. So, so you could just, I don't know. I, I think, I, like I said, I have to brush up on the rigs as far as right. trapping in Alberta. So, um, yeah. I had, uh, I I'd eat I'd totally forgotten about the, the fur bearing animals and like if a beaver was even considered a, uh, a protected species in some ways I just consider them a nuisance now. So yeah, I think landowners are able to dispose of them at their convenience, like aren't they? Kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, they make great bear bait. That's for sure. And like, I was talking to my uncle about it once and he explained, and I said like, why, why are like, what, what's the deal with beavers and bears? He's like, well, beavers, like they, they breed like cats, right? So there's, like the pups or kits, whatever they are all over the place. And you couldn't have just like that many beavers in one pond. So what the adults will do is they'll kick the juveniles out and the juveniles will have to travel sometimes obviously on land to get to the next slough or the pond. Right. And that's apparently bears will, I guess, get them that way. And that's just snatch them up. So in, uh, 
in trap lines and stuff for bait, they'll use uh, the castor oil out of the, I don't know, some, I think it's called castor oil. It's, there's some gland on them that produces some crazy smelly shit. And you can put that on, it'll draw something in for miles. I don't know if it's what draws in the black bears, but. Yeah. Yeah. Don't get it on your hands. That stuff will. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like even what we'll do, like my uncle, cause like I said, he guides, he'll actually cut out the casters and put them in like a little like glass jar and dilute it with a little bit of vegetable oil and water. And even like just kind of take like a Q-tip or even just something light and just dab like trees just as that call scent, just because it's such a potent smell. Oh, yeah. Right. That even at that as well as like a call scent. But uh, yeah. Is that like, not what they used to make vanilla extract out of? They use it in the perfume industry. I read that. I believe it. Yeah. Because that's the gland by their uh, by their anus, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure they used to use it in vanilla extract because it smelled and tasted very similar to vanilla. Yeah, they kind of just smell like a massive hamster. Quite disgusting. Yeah. Uh, yum, yum. So the the beavers, when you use them for bait, they're live or dead? Dispatched, yeah. Dispatched. See, he, <laughs> Passed on. He's had this conversation a couple <laughs> times. He, he knows the proper <laughs> words to say. Yeah. No, no, honey, it's yeah. not dead. They're... It's dispatched. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, like, former so I, beavers. Well, I got a, a so a funny story about beavers actually. So, um, <laughs> this was when my wife and I we'd only been together maybe for like a year or two years or something. And where is this going, Cody? Yeah, this is uh, this a... bear. It's related to bear hunting. So, <laughs> okay. uh, I'm gonna. We're, we're going in to check one of the baits kind of thing. It was an afternoon, so she wanted to just kind of check it out. I'm like, all right, sure. So there was a dead beaver in one of these sloughs as I was walking in. I could kind of see, like, this little white patch kind of flowing. I'm like, oh, it must be a dead beaver or something, whatever, right? So I'm like, oh, perfect score. I'm going to take this thing in. And I had a rope in my pack, so I was just going to tie it to its leg and kind of just drag it in and leave it in there, right? So... She's kind of grossed out by it, but, um, so this thing must have been there for a while, but I reached down and grabbed it by its tail and hit the tailbone slid right out. And <laughs> it was quite disgusting. That was the last time she ever came, uh, into any of the bear baits with me. Yeah. Oh, it was oh, just totally cool. rotten and oh, bloated. Yeah. And... yeah. So, yeah, she doesn't oh. partake in any of that anymore. So, <clears throat> how do you feel about, and then, like, obviously, this is non hunters, I think. Uh, saying this kind of stuff, but I, I see it online. I hear it often that people get a little bit up in arms, a little hoity toity when they hear, uh, especially about bear hunting that you bait bears. And that I, get, like, I totally get it. I totally like yeah. when you have like a, someone who doesn't hunt and, and kind of looks at it that way. I, I would probably look at it that way too. If I didn't grow up how I did. Like if, if I didn't grow up in a family that was avid on it and I didn't see the kind of like I shared before, it's not like every single bear I'm shooting is like every single bear that walks in, I'm going to shoot. Um, and every single bear that I want to shoot is even going to give me an opportunity to shoot. So um, mm. actually uh, the Nuge, Ted Nugent, um, he's a super interesting guy to listen to when it comes to, to hunting, actually. He's a huge conservationist. That dude's crazy. Um, I know. So he was actually talking about um, there's a spring bear hunt um, that they canceled in Ontario and they did conservation, did a ton of research on it. And it was actually harder on the bear population by removing the spring bear hunt because what they found was the majority of bears killed are from male bears. So boars like big boars, what they'll do is they find a sow with cubs. They'll kill those cubs to try and get the sow to go back into eat. And smaller bears, like they'll, like the bigger bears will, will kill them. So it's actually yeah, interesting. So they, Go ahead. They're decimating their own population. Yeah. And if you think about it, like, so if I'm going to pay money to come up to Manitoba or Alberta to shoot a bear, well, I'm not going to shoot a two-year-old. I'm not going to shoot, you know, a, you know, a not a mature bear if I can help it. Right. So mm-hmm. if you think a lot of the, the harvests, if you think about it, are really people targeting in those scenarios um, mature bears for the most part, right? Um, 
you know, now I've had a little bit of, cause in Alberta, unless I believe it's if you're south of red deer, that kind of horizontal line, um, you can't bait for bears just cause there's that risk of grizzlies, I guess. Yeah. In the north, you can, go, you can bait. Um, so I've done a little bit of spot and stock, um, for black bears. The one thing that, um, was interesting is we were actually elk hunting and saw this, we thought, like I, I judge it, it looked like a really good bear and I probably would have shot it and it was in super tall grass. And the closer we got, she ended up hightailing it out of there. And there's two cubs that we could barely see until they kind of got out of the tall grass. So you got to think like how many, how many sows get shot for in spot and stock situations because either you don't see the cubs with her or right. So at least at a quick reaction, side, shoot the bear. Don't at least in a bait kinda, site, at least you can kind of see, you know, is it a sow? You got time to judge it and kind of assess, like, is this a boar? Um, is it a cubs? Uh, is this a bear, mature bear that I want to shoot? So, but I, I totally get it. Like, I get the perception of, um, you know, hunting over bait. Is it fair? And like, I get it. I even got hunting buddies that um, don't have any really interest in, like, I'd bring them back to Manitoba if they're interested, but just no interest mm-hmm. in it. That's fair. And I have no. No qualms about that. Everyone's got opinions. Fine. Yeah. No, that's good. So um, I had uh, going. Sorry, go ahead. No, if it's related, go ahead. Because I was going to change. No, it's definitely. I like bear hunting. I uh, for years I had zero appreciation for bear hunting. I thought it was like, well, why they're, you know, they're not hurting me. I'm not hurting them. I'm not, not really out for the meat, and so like I didn't understand it. And the older I get, the more appeal it has. The the more the more benefit the fur has to me personally. And I, I really truly do want to go get a nice bear. What's the, what's the age when you said a, a boar is mature? I don't know actually, honestly anything about bears and their ages or like, is it five years or two years or you said two years as a juvenile? Yeah. Like, so the first year out of like, so they'll say like two, like a year and a half, two years, right They're They'll hibernate. Like they'll come out of hibernation when they're born. Then they'll live with their best sow, their mom, until the next hibernation. They'll hibernate with her. When they come out of hibernation, she'll, she'll kick up. So they usually uh, go into heat in around like end of May, beginning of June. So they'll kick them off in around May. So it'll be like a year and a half kind of kind of deal. Yeah. And she'll shoo them off. Um, and then she'll find out a mate kind of thing. So, I, yeah, I would say about like a five, five-year-old bear. And, again, it's – and you guys know so much has to do with genetics, right? And it's no different than, you know – you could find like a really mature, like a mature looking white tail that just has crazy genetics. Um, and you know, bears are kind of similar, right? They, when, when you have a chance to actually watch like a ton of different bears, just the different like physiques of a bear, like you'll get kind of like a stubby bear. That's just kind of like a super fat bear versus like a long and lean, but still they're just, they're probably one of the hardest animals to judge. And there's different things that you can do actually. Um, at a bait site that you can't do on like say a spot and stock, right? So at most of our bait sites, we'll cut like a log uh, to like four feet long and on, on their feet, if they're standing and they're four feet long on their feet, if that makes sense, yep. that's mm-hmm. probably a shooter. Um, the 50 gallon drums that we use for the feed, if their back is as high as that drum, it's probably a shooter. Um, I know guys all like, take a chainsaw and kind of make markings like a six feet, seven feet marking on a tree and put scent up there to kind of entice them to stand up. So you can kind of get a look at how tall they are. Uh, different things you're looking for, like their ears. So if their ears are, you know, off the side of their head, uh, that's probably bigger bear. If they have like, if their ears look small, it's a big bear. If the ears look big and dopey, it's probably small. Um, you'll look for that crease down the middle of their head. That's a sign of a bigger bear. Um, there's a, like I said, there's just, there's so many different things you can do at a site, like a bait site to kind of help you judge the size of bear. Cause I remember being younger and like in, from a tree stand, like there'd be times my uncle would hang two stands and he'd kind of be there, but it's, it's really hard, but especially when you're by yourself, if you don't have a ton of experience, like, is this a good bear or like, should I shoot this? Um, yeah, and and again, like say you're spotting stock, say you're shooting a bear at you know two, three hundred yards. Well, you got to be pre- if you're if you're looking for a mature bear, you probably want to get some exposure, some experience, or be with someone who 
can say, yeah, that's a good bear or be able to identify if it's mature or not. Cool. But. Crazy. Um, I want to go back to just like bow hunting in general. Um, and I don't I have nothing to say. Fuck. <laughs> I lost it. It was on the tip of my tongue and then I swallowed it with my beer. Um, if I, okay. So if I wanted to like start out bow hunting, just start out bow hunting. What's the one thing I need to do? And, and you can't say buy a bow because I'm going to go buy, I want to go buy a bow. What, what do I need to look for? And what's the one thing I should consider when I am bow hunting? Like one thing you consider when you're going out to purchase a bow or yeah. now you have all your gear and now what do you no, do? I, I, I have nothing. I'm like, I, I'm a hunt stuff. Yeah. Okay. So, and I, like this isn't a plug, but go somewhere where you trust, right? Um, so there's lots not, of really not good Not Cabela's. Stuff. Definitely not Cabela's. I'm not going to say yes. So Canadian, Canadian, the schmoes at Canadian time. Yeah. <laughs> no, but there's some really good shops um, in Calgary. Like there's the Jimbo's Archery. They they're, they have they have techs there who are very very good. Um, Jimbo's Calgary. is fantastic. That's yeah. and that's like there all the time. So there's Jimbo's. There's Calgary Archery Center. So those two places, they're like Cabela's is not those guys. They're pro shops, right? So they send their techs away, and they get they all get trained from the menu like the vendors that they sell the bows for um and they're very good so go i would recommend go somewhere where you trust i know um like there's a number of folks that we that are at cabela's who are very good as well and super passionate what they do but um if you're looking to get into more of an entry level setup um you know you probably want to look at more of the big boxes um like i said not a plug but um cabela's or bass bass pro um you can find something reasonable and it's a full, like you're looking at full setups, right? So mm -hmm. you can probably get, you know, outside of arrows in a release and a, you obviously need target, um, probably looking at four to 500 bucks for a ready to shoot bow. I think um, that's what I paid for mine. Cause yeah. I just, I myself only have like a, what you call an entry level yeah. bow because of the amount I bow hunt. So I have a, I have a bear. Yeah. No, you don't. And it, you don't have a bear. I have a, a I have a bear brand <laughs> bow, and uh, it works. It sh it shoots fine. So let's give, just say give, that. Give, it shoots good. Cody, give me an idea of because I don't have a bow at all. If I was to get an entry level bow that costs four to five hundred bucks to walk in, versus something with like two grand if you go to the higher end, what what are the the difference is, are they as like minute as when you go into rifling where you're, you're like, it's, it's trigger control, the, the trigger weights, the weight of the, uh, the actual, uh, equipment itself, the precision of the, like, I'm not sure, like the, the trigger and stuff on a gun would be one thing, but can you explain the difference in a, a higher end bow to a lower end bow? Yep. So what you'll see also in some bows is like just overall bow weight. And I'm not talking about like how heavy it is to draw back. Um, some, some of the higher end manufacturers, companies are using uh, carbon for their riser. So the riser is the section that the, the limbs of the bow attach to. Um, and it's just an overall lighter, lighter bow, right? So just, just overall weight sitting in your hand is a little bit more comfortable to shoot. Um, the engineering in the, so the wheels are known as the cams on the bow. Um, just the engineering in there, in the, I guess the style of the cams just makes for a smoother draw cycle. So it's easier to pull back, um, more comfortable. Sorry, Cody, you're talking about compound bows. Compound bows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then once you draw back when you're sitting, what's in the valley. So when that let, when that compound bow lets off and it gets a little bit more comfortable, um, that's what going to you're going to be really looking at in a, a higher end bow or more expensive bow, really. Like at like Jim Bowles or Calgary Archery Center, some of the pro stuff that you could be looking at is like two thousand bucks. That's just for the bow, not any gear on it or anything, right? Um, and no different than like you mentioned, like with high end rifles, right? There's, but it, what it comes down to is, um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to uh, a guy who's actually a pro staff at one of the Edmonton stores, and he's a he's a waterfowl guide, and uh, we're doing a store opening in Ottawa, and it's not archery related, but it it, it applies. Um, we were talking about high-end goose calls. So 
these goose calls are like 200 bucks for a goose call versus 20 bucks for a goose call. Um, you, you, I think you're saying something along the lines like, so you can be a $20 goose caller or a $200 goose caller. So the guy that knows how to blow a goose call can use a $20 goose call and still sound good. A guy who doesn't know how to blow a goose call is going to suck with a $200 goose call or a $20 goose call. Yeah. So uh, that's kind of what I mean as far as like, you can have a fancy rifle, you can have a fancy bow set up and you can have all the fancy gear, but it's not going to substitute practice and perfection in the off season. Right. So like mm-hmm. a guy that I bow hunt, uh, he actually took me out um, to the Saskatchewan border for my muley last year. And he shoots a very modest bow and, very plain Jane arrow. Like he does not shoot a fancy setup. And that guy, he, he shot probably a 170 class muley with his bow on September 1st at 10 AM opening day. And what, the guy what shot, range. I don't know, 30, 35 yards. Nice. Cause range, range also matters, right? When it comes to bow hunting, like you said, you know, you got to be close. And I think ideally for any bow hunter, 20, 20 meters is, is like probably a gimme. Yeah. I think most over 40 and you're like, fuck, you got to be really confident to make a, um, a humane shot. I think at that distance, I think they say most like the, the majority of deer shot are at like 23 yards or whatever it is. But I think, um, it's, it comes down purely to your practice, right? So, Mm-hmm. Um, probably heard of like Cam Haynes and his big thing is you want to practice at twice the range you're going to be hunting at. So if I, if my comfortable range is 50 yards, well, maybe it's practicing at a hundred yards, right? Because similar to rifle hunting, the further out you are, the more your flaws are going to be exposed, right? So not to say I'm yeah. never going to, you know, send an arrow, uh, at a, a you know, hundred yards on an elk or whatever. I just, I'm it's not ethical in my opinion, but. Um, practicing that is going to make you a lot more comfortable at 50 yards. So it depends on the shooter. My, my comfortable range is about 15 meters. So that's for now. I thought it was from you to your dartboard in the background. Yeah. I basically have to hit the deer with my bow, <laughs> like a bat, like fucking Hawkeye in Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> <Bam>! <laughs> it's funny. Like, like the bow that I have now, I, you know, I've had it for about five years now, but I saved up and spent quite a bit of money on just the bow. And, um, if I was being honest, like the most comfortable I've ever felt, uh, with archery equipment was like the first bow I ever bought. And I think I got it for like 200 bucks. Yeah. And, uh, this was living in Manitoba and my dad lives on an acreage and I was able to set up like a 3d archery range kind of in his yard. And every day after class, I'd just go out to his place and just shoot, shoot, shoot all summer. And I was by far the most comfortable with probably the worst setup that I had. I've mm-hmm. never felt as comfortable as that. So I don't know. I think it comes and with you know, more of the practice, right? Excuse me. And it's cheap to practice. Like I haven't been for a while, um, but to Jimbo's, I think it was like 15 bucks or 20 bucks yeah, to go and you get to like shoot all day long. Yeah. Um, and you can like, they'll tweak your bow and stuff and, there's actually this- for for all the nobody out there, it is illegal to shoot your bow in the city, <laughs> so you can't practice in your backyard. It's there's actually you cannot cool- go for hunt in your own backyard. There's a cool place out by um kind of like Water Valley area. It's called Dragonflight Archery. They have like a little pro shop there too, but um it's oh nice it's it's and it's all like forested area and it's kind of like golf. So they have like holes, if you will, set up um, and you go through and I guess the lower the score, the closer to center. So all the yardages are listed. So you kind of go up to your, so to speak, T and you go through this course and they also have a 3D course out there. It's um, you could easily spend a day out there just practicing. But the especially that sounds fucking amazing. Oh, I'd recommend archery golf. Pretty much. Yeah. And oh my God. The, the crazy I might be thing, sick for work tomorrow. <laughs> that I think people don't really think about is like, if you're going to go practice, you're not going to probably go like set your target up in the bush between trees and bury yourself, right? You're probably going to be out, say you're out in crown land or whatever. You're going to be in the wide open space. You're going to get comfortable judging yardage in wide open space, not in the bush. 
mm-hmm. most of your hunting shots you would think are going to for the most part be in the bush right and personally i find um judging yardage a little bit more challenging in thick cover so oh, absolutely I, yeah that's what i really enjoyed is um like you'd walk up to the tee and be like, okay 52 yards and i'd look and be like i would have guessed 30 yeah so it tells you exactly what the yardage is yeah what do you what kind of target are you shooting just a bullseye or or like yeah it's just like a standard kind of block like a big box kind of target and um they also have a different course it's a 3d course so they got like you know elk deer whatever 3d targets um that you can do as well but and they have an indoor range like they got all kinds of stuff out there so definitely one thing yeah i want to check that out i think one thing that I didn't know when I bought my bow was that you can be, and it makes total sense. I just don't think about things with my brain, which lands me in all sorts of situations. <laughs> um, you can be a mo- like, it's not like, uh, and, and the same with rifles too. Not as, I don't think as much, but like you are either a left or a right-handed shooter so you have and that's based on your dominant eye which i never even knew was a thing and when i went to to i was at jim boza actually and he said basically he stood like a meter and a half two meters back and he said hold your arms out make a triangle with your fingers and he's like gonna look at look at my face and the eye you see is the dominant eye yeah and for me it was the other one, like not, yeah, like not most. I think the ma- majority of people draw with their right hand, which makes sense because you've got like a seventy-pound draw on your bow. You're pulling with your your right arm. Your dominant arm is your right arm, so it's the strongest. But I'm the opposite. I'm holding, and I'm drawing with my my weak arm, or as I call it, the stranger. <laughs> 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 oh, oh come on! He's he's no longer a stranger anymore. He's well no welcome to strangers. <laughs> we have to we have to play different different fantasy games. <laughs> uh, but it's it's weird because first of all, like it isn't as strong. So I think like, and I tried it. I can draw faster with my other arm, but my accuracy. Well, my accuracy is shit, but my accuracy is shittier when I'm drawing with my right arm. So when I'm drawing left-handed, it's it just makes it, it feels weird until you do it a bunch of times. And then it feels totally right until someone's like, what? So They look at you and they're like, you're holding it wrong. You're like, I'm not though. You shoot rifle right and you shoot archery yep. left. Yeah. You're broken. That's That's what I have to say. Yeah, I'm not. There's nothing right about what I do, except shooting rifle because I shoot left. I mean, you shoot. See that? That was. Yeah, a, I'm the same. I'm left eye dominant, but I shoot right. I, do I you shoot your bow left eye? No, I shoot with my right eye. Like my wrong. I shoot with my non-dominant eye because I just I couldn't go back now. But I'm the same as you. I I shoot with the. I'm broken too. <laughs> but no, but you shoot your bow. Drawing left or with drawing your right? dominant eye, with my right eye, but I'm left eye dominant. So, and you shoot your bow with your right eye? Yes. Yeah. Oh no, I I I I shoot my bow the way I should with my dominant oh, okay. because so I'm I'm not good to start with. I need everything I can. So get. Cody's learned how to be right because right is right, and whatever you do, Darren is wrong. <laughs> yeah. It would just feel so weird drawing lefty. I just, I don't think I could do it. It's weird, yeah. And the other thing is I've I've been told, and I think you get varying stories, so I'd like your opinion on this. When you're shooting your bow, are you shooting with both eyes open? Try to. As much as you can. You have a natural instinct to close the one, right? Yeah. But, I don't know. It's so tough. Like, you'll, you'll talk to so many guys who will... Say, oh, you have to do it this way, you have to do it that way. I've found, for me personally, the best you can do is get comfortable. And you've heard about anchor points and and different stuff. Get comfortable and find it's more about a routine. If you can, and archery is all about repetition and replication. So 
if you can replicate a draw cycle or uh, an anchor point, go to the same spot every time and just get good at that. Whatever's comfortable, right? Um, mm. Like different so things. Just for the nobody, an anchor point is when you draw your when you draw your your bow. An anchor point is a spot that you pick on your face that you, you basically you touch your hand to every time because half an inch back here at your face can be three inches at your target. Yeah. Different. At, at 20 yards and then six at 20 yards. yards. Right? Like yeah. Magnifies the further out you go. So, yeah, I don't know. Um, I would, I would say way more on that. Like get comfortable, get something that where you can have a routine and you can replicate right shot after shot after shot, especially in a hunting scenario, because sure you've been there right where you got a deer in front of you or an elk in front of you and the last thing you really want to be thinking about is oh am i anchored properly because like you barely have time to think when you know you got a bull screaming at 10 yards in front of you wait 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 so, no, step back on that because i'm pretty sure darren and i have never run into that situation justifiably maybe on television no that's not true um we were hunting out by Pritis. And we were standing there, and that that whitetail came right up behind the tree, like 15 yards away. Yeah. And I drew back, and I was ready. And then the wind the wind changed, and it it fucked off like perpendicular to the tree, so you just never saw it. But at that point, all I remember like it was a good thing because at that point I drew back, and all I remember thinking is like. Are my eyes open? Are they closed? Where, where am I supposed to? Is the is the arrow in my mouth? What's happening? Where's the? And then the deer's gone. I'm like, ah! And then I just kind of like let the arrow fall out. <laughs> it's crazy what'll happen in that in that situa- in those situations, right? When when it's and usually it's when something happens really quick. Like oftentimes you don't have a lot of time to kind of think and kind of process your shot. But if you can, I think that makes a big difference, right? But like I said, the practice and repetition, it has to just be like second nature to you. And like one thing mm-hmm. that, you know, we see sometimes is uh, like with a peep sight. So the peep sight is tied into your string and you're going to look through that and you're going to look into your pins or your sight window. So you want to be able to draw your bow back. And what we kind of have like people practice or kind of get used to is draw your bow back with your eyes closed, get into that anchor point and find what's comfy and then open your eyes and you should be able to not have to move your head up or down and be able to look straight through your peep sight, right? Um, oh, shit. So next time you're out shooting your bow, just try and do that. Draw your bow back with your eyes closed, get into your anchor point, and then slowly open your eyes, and you should be able to see perfectly through your peep. If you can't, then you got to adjust it. That's really good advice. So what's, I'd recommend. An, what's an adjustment on a bow? Is it is it draw length? Is it, uh, like, give me an example of what... Because I don't, I don't, I don't bow hunt. So I've pulled, I yeah, pulled a yeah. bow, and I understand. But usually, I would have to like try to aim. So what do you, what do you mean by yeah. adjusting? Matt's so going to bow hunt pretty quick. In that sense, you would adjust the. So if you think of the string, right? The string that you pull back. Well, that peep sight that's sitting in the string, you would either want to move it up to accommodate your eye level and how you look through that string, or move it down. So you would put it in a bow press, press the limbs, and then the, the strings would go limp, and then you would adjust the, the height of that peep sight on your string. So like you said, adjustments on like a draw length, you should only really, like for adults, for the most part, you, you're not really, you're not growing, right? So you, your draw length should be your draw length. Your draw weight, mm-hmm. um, you know, that depends on your comfort level, right? What weight do you shoot? Uh, 70 on, on mine. But... Um, Again, like I would, if if someone ever had like a hard time pulling back, you know, there's bows that go up to like 80 and and whatnot. But like my dad, his bow is only set to 50 pounds. He's much better off shooting 50 pounds comfortably than jacking it up to 60 and then developing bad habits, right? So always recommend yeah. comfort, right? Because if you think, say you're hunting late season whitetails and you know minus 20 out, snowing. It's cold. You've been sitting in a stand all day. You got to be able to pull that thing back and be comfortable and not struggle, right? So anybody can pull a bow back, you know, 20 degrees on a summer day, but you got to think like if you're in a ground blind, if you're in a tree stand in an uncomfortable situation, all your gear on. Um, yeah. 
how much does draw length or draw weight uh, affect the arrow velocity? Is it with the new bows? Totally. Is it everything? Is it is it completely linear, or because of the cams and stuff? Is it not as quite important with the higher end bows? Yeah, your your draw weight will that will be your your driver for for your arrow speed, right? Um, you'll get some bow like so. Say you have a a bow like an entry level bow that maybe isn't you know the you know the speed rating on the bow is maybe let's say three hundred and five feet per second. Well, my bow might be rated for three hundred and fifty feet per second, and that's going to be what you're referencing as the engineering or the the setup, like the design of the bow, right? But the if I were to crank my bow's weight down and that bow is max, the other bow is maxed out. Well, that bow is probably going to be a little bit faster just because there's more tension on the string, right? But how much faster? Like negligible? It's hard to say. I've never really tested it. Um, but it also, you know, like, there's so many variables too. Like, arrow weight is huge. So when you yeah. see, like, so my bow's rated to 350 feet per second. Well, that's not with a realistic hunting arrow. Right, they're gonna put the, the so they'll max out the weight, max out the draw length because the longer the draw length, the faster the arrow too. Um, and they'll use the lightest arrow possible without blowing that bow up, so that they can advertise a fast, fast speed. But realistically, like you're you're never gonna hunt with that light of an arrow. Like right. for me, like the analogy I try and use um, when it comes to arrows for people is, so if I was at the top of a hill. And I rolled a beach ball down and it was going 50 miles an hour. Then it hit you versus a bowling ball going five miles an hour. The bowling ball is going to hurt you more. Right. Mm -hmm. So I would rather be moving. And again, you want to find that, um, that sweet spot with your kinetic energy. But I, I always push for as you know heavy as an arrow as I can uh, shoot out of my bow. You're just, you're going to get better penetration. Um, even if you're sacrificing some velocity. So what? Speaking of, sorry, Matt. Speaking of penetration, it's going to go a little off topic here. No. Um, what? So when you're doing big game, and like big game would be deer, moose, elk, pedophiles. Um, what? What tips are you? What tips do you use, and what tips do you recommend for? someone getting into it that's such a, a like a sensitive topic for a lot of bow hunters is like the mechanical broadheads versus fixed broadheads so a mechanical broadhead mm-hmm. is um at the point that obviously you put on the end of your arrow but on impact that the blades are going to open up so the the deal with the mechanical broadheads is they fly a lot closer um in accuracy to your field points so you don't have to do a lot of tweaking to your bow um, a fixed broadhead is just like a standard steel kind of razor blade broadhead that doesn't expand. It's fixed. Um, for years, I shot the elk I shot in 2019. That one was with a, a mechanical broadhead, and it did a pretty. I didn't get a pass through, but you know, I shot it at 20 yards, and I think it only ran you know 50, 50, 60 yards. Uh, I shot a black bear. Um, with the same uh, expandable, like not the exact same, but the same branded expandable that only went 10 yards. Um, the nice thing about the expandables is the, the wound channel that it leaves open. And obviously to, for a humane um, dispatching of the animal, um, you want as, as big as a entry and exit as possible. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the benefit. The only downfall is um, blades bending, blades breaking, um, you know, I've heard horror stories of blades not um, deploying on impact, so blades just staying tight. So, think of like You're a full metal field point. Yeah, think of a field point going through now. Like it's not ideal, right? Yeah. Um, this last year, I actually switched to these fixed broadheads, a company called Iron Will, and it's a, a solid fixed broadhead. And um, I actually I shot my moose this year with it. It's fifty yards, um, and it was a perfect scenario, perfectly broadside. Didn't really know we were there. Um, it blew right through them, um, went in through the one side. It, it did, it went between two ribs and then blew through the backside of the shoulder and full pass through right into the dirt kind of thing. So 
Um, wow. I'm using them again, and I'll, I probably won't go back to an expandable now. But um, I was super impressed with how they flew too. Um, a lot of folks say how um, fixed broadheads you got to tweak your bow and adjust your bow so it's going to fly a little bit more consistent for you. But I didn't have to change a thing from a from a field point to that to that broadhead. So, so I have a, a fixed broadhead on mine, um, and full disclosure, I have not dropped an animal with my bow. I'm just going to say that right now. Um, I haven't. I I want to bow hunt more. I haven't. Um, I've had two opportunities. One I told you about. The other one was uh, well, you were there, Matt. It was kind of like a, I don't know situation. Didn't happen. But the fixed broadhead I have was actually um, one of the guys at Jimbo's recommended it, and I don't know if it's just a product push or not. But I think it's called Toxic. Yeah. Do you know these? Are they like they basically look like the they look like a radioactive symbol yeah. when you look at them dead on, and the idea is that they spin and they're razor sharp, and they will core a toonie sized hole, which leads to obviously a more instantaneous uh, dispatch, and um, um, you know a reduced runtime. Um, but I haven't I haven't had the opportunity. Hopefully this September, um, I will, but I haven't had the opportunity to uh, try them out yet. I've done a bit of research into the toxics, and they're they're cool. The only thing, like, when I first saw them, I thought, like, just because when you look at the, the shape of them, it looks like it might whistle in flight, but um, talking to people who have shot them said that they have no issues with them whistling or anything like that, but um, I've seen a couple, like, wound channels in, like, white tails that people have shot with them and they're pretty gnarly so gnarly in a good way in a good way yeah, yeah. in a humane in, way in, yeah. in the worst in, in the worst good way. way yeah yeah so in, um, in bow and arrow i want to ask this question before we change topics too much in the yeah. arrow weights in bullets you rage them on are you, you you're doing a grain if you're shooting a certain certain caliber it's all about grains of bullet what are the what do you yeah. do for class of of arrows same you'd weigh them in grains so my arrow i said i'm pretty sure my arrows now are 460 grains oh shit okay uh, and it's, and i shoot a so the arrows that i have now um i got like so the insert that you actually screw your broadhead into you can get special inserts that are heavier um, so I ordered ones that are a little bit heavier, so I have a little bit more weight up front. Um, and you, some, you know, the more in-depth you get into archery, you'll hear people talk about FOC, so that's forward of center. So you want most of your weight on your arrow on the front half of your arrow. So an analogy I use with folks is like... In, sorry, including or excluding your, including. your tip? Yeah, full, dressed out. Yeah, everything. So... I have I shoot a hundred grain broadhead, and then I have a seventy five grain outsert, which is what the broadhead screws into. Um, so, and again, I don't know what my FOC forward of center uh, percentage is, um, but it's a heavy up front arrow. So, think of like if you took a spaghetti noodle and you laid it out on a table, would it be easier to pull it from the front or push it from the back? Right, it'd be easier to pull it across the table from the front. So that energy comes pulling, like leading the, the energy from the front of the arrow than if you had more weight in the back. It helps to pull it straight through the arrow or guide yeah. it straight through the Because if air. you have more weight in the back, it's because, and really, like if you've ever seen an arrow fly in the air uh, in like slow mo, there's a ton of flex and whip. So really, your mm-hmm. veins and that front of center is going to help correct that whip that you'll see with the arrow. Um, just help you help your arrow fly a little bit truer. Um, anyway, that's, that's kind of my setup, but yeah, I'd like you to go back to your question about the grains. Yeah. It's, that's how they're measured in grains. Um, and then a, another rating that, um, folks will use and that you want to archery companies will have kind of like a, a chart, um, that you can take a look on the back of most boxes and it'll tell you what spine. So the spine is just how flexible that arrow is going to be, um, for the, specs that you're shooting and that attributes to breakage right right so you wouldn't want to shoot too um weak of a spine out of a bow like so it's going to be based on your draw length and your draw weight um so you know 
when I first got into archery, I thought, oh, speed is speed kills, speed everything. Well, not really, right? I'd much rather have that kinetic energy and that little bit of extra momentum to help me with uh, penetration. And because and, really, at the end of the day, you want as much. Like you, you're aiming for a pass through. If you can get a pass through, you're you're in pretty yeah. good shape, right? What's a what's uh, a spine yeah. number? I, I'm not not so, familiar with that. Yep. Yeah. So a spine number. That's so. In different companies, I'll rate it differently. Um, so like, for instance, so my spine would be a 300 spine. Um, and then the higher the number, the weaker the spine. So say like in the company, like I shoot, um, victory archery products. So VAPs people call them. Um, so if you went into like a 400, it's a lighter spine and the lower the number, the stiffer the spine. So the heavier the bow you shoot, uh, the longer your draw length is you're going to want to go lower the spine. Does that also equate to a heavier arrow itself? And then you need to, your forward of center, is that what's just FOC? Yeah. It's that, so that number would then change based on the heavier arrow. You need to tweak your numbers, right? Well, so, and they also rate it. So when I'm looking, if you're buying arrows, you also see them advertise uh, grains per inch, so GPI. So I think mine are... I want to say 9.6 grains per inch and most arrows are factory at 32 inches. So it also depends how short your arrows are you're cutting off, right? Cause the more arrow you cut off, the more weight you're cutting off your arrow. So, and there's actually the, just to talk about the FOC, there's a company called uh, carbon express that has a weight forward arrow. So in their arrow, they've actually built it heavier up front, just in the carbon, in the arrow to really promote that FOC. Man, so different companies will wow. do different things to promote that, right? And there's way more technical shit in this, in this than I thought there was. No, this is just scratching the surface too, right? Like there's... Wow. I have so many questions. Uh, this Well, I also like to say, I also like to flaunt that I, 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 I sport 9.8 gra- grains per inch. Yeah. Grains. 9.8. Nine nine point eight grains per yeah. inch. You got a big you got a big arrow over there. I am I'm running a a, a solid four grain <laughs> unit over here. <laughs> just just um, barely exposing itself through the mushroom field. Yep. <laughs> miss it if you weren't looking. <laughs> All right, we're gonna take a break, um, but we'll be back next week with part two of So You Wanna Be a Bow Hunter with Cody Gross. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe to our YouTube channel and uh, listen to everything our bumper says uh, right now. Hey, nobody. Don't forget to stalk us on YouTube, Instagram, and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The information and opinions within this broadcast are those solely of three guys who barely know how to tie their shoes, let alone do anything functional in the real world. They are not to be taken as advice or as actual instruction on how to do anything we've mentioned ever. That is the end of this disclaimer.